Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well. And I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you or your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. say today's a great day in the Lord. I found out something that I want to make public and, and tell you. Something happened when I was a year old. I was just a year old when the providence of God, some 56 years ago, brought Will and Jane together and they became the Giggers. They celebrated 56 years of marriage. Y'all stand up right in the middle. Amen. <laughs> 56 years. Isn't that wonderful? And they're the sweetest and kindest, gracious couple uh, that you'll ever meet. They love the Lord. They love First Baptist Church. They love you. I know they love me. And Will loves peanut butter cookies. Because Miss Jane can make those peanut butter cookies, and she makes them with Splenda. She put Splenda in them, and they are Splendor. <laughs> but they're precious. Thank you for your testimony. Well, I don't know um, how you um, listen and participate in music in the church service. I, uh, I look at it um, in, in a way that uh, either I'm singing to the Lord or I'm singing to um, you, or I'm appealing to the lost. Depends on the content of the song. And, you know, because our songs are testimony songs, our songs are worship songs, our songs are songs of doctrinal truth to convey to one another, like sermons put to music. Uh, but when the choir was singing that song, I want to tell you, the Lord reminded me of a few things. First thing he said was, is you're going to die, and uh, you're not that important. But uh, that's why you need to be faithful to the Word of God. Amen? Amen. And uh, when we bury you, uh, the work will go on. That's the most important thing. Don't shame the work. Amen? Amen. And the second message that, uh, that kind of came to my mind was, what a privilege it is to do the Lord's work while you can stand up on two legs and have a voice. What a privilege it is to be involved in the wonderful work of the Lord. And uh, with that being said, let's get on with it. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. I think a little review is in order now uh, as we... Um, uh, make our way through this second epistle of Peter. And so... The aged Peter has two main concerns in his final days of life. The worker is about to be buried. 
or at least his body burned uh, because Rome is about to execute him. Uh, but the aged Peter has two main concerns, and he writes two letters. He's in Babylon in his last days. That's where he's been, and that's where his ministry concludes. He writes his first epistle to believers who were soon to face hard and harsh persecution at the hand of Nero's regime. You've heard the story. Nero burnt Rome in his craziness, insanity, and blamed the Christians and launched a persecution. It would be the persecution that would take Peter and Paul. Peter himself is about to be executed and he knows it. He remembers what the Lord had told him in the Gospel of John right after the resurrection of our Lord and that walk along the beach. And he tells Peter, he says, right now you go where you want on your own strength, but someday somebody's going to carry you to where you really don't want to go. And he was talking about the manner in which he would die. And so he writes to the saints of God of Asia Minor and to us and encourages us, hey, when persecution does come, you need to stand strong with the testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ because that is our duty and that's our love. And we preach through 1 Peter and that's what it encouraged us to do. And now, like many parts of the world, we are beginning to see the rumblings of persecution here in America. And uh, we do not know when or where it will lead and what it will look like to be a Christian here in America in a few years. So his first letter says, be a loyal witness for Christ in trying times. His second letter deals with his other concern, which is how we are to be loyal to the Word of God in trying times. One speaks to our witness, the other speaks to his Word. One speaks to our testimony, the other speaks to his truth. And that's what we've been dealing with in these Verses of chapter 1 and 2, and we'll continue. I say all times. We need to bear testimony and, and be true to the Word of God in all times uh, because uh, that's what God has called us to do, and that's who we are in the Lord. But uh, all times are trying times. Now, God may give the persecuted Christians a time of respite, a time of rest. He, he did so in the book of Acts, we see times when things had calmed down and then they would get heated up again. Uh, and so persecution upon any Christian people in any nation can come and go. And uh, we're grateful for, the, for both times because we want to be faithful in both times. But when it comes to the attack upon the truth of the Word of God, that never has respite. There is always the presence of false doctrine and false teachers and shysters and crooks who claim to be in ministries and claim to be doing the work of the Lord and they're really uh, just followers of their own desires as we will see once again as we continue. But false teachers are always present, always among us. Chapter 2 verse 1 says, just like there were prophets, false prophets in the Times of the Old Testament, among you there will always be false teachers. We must always be on guard, always present. And in times of persecution, uh, yes, 
There'll be times of respite, but always false teachers. In chapter 2, we've been dealing with how to identify. How do you know a false teacher is a false teacher? And Peter uh, gives us something in addition to the fact that we know the truth because we know the Word of God and we hear it maligned and we hear it misinterpreted and immediately our radar goes on. We say, oh, there's a problem. Peter talks about the life, the, the walk, the way false teachers live and what their end result will be and where they will lead people. And so that's what we're dealing with in chapter 2 and we continue to do so in uh, verse 10. Now, it's more than repetition because I want to tell you, if you've been here or you've heard these messages in chapter 2, Peter's pretty rough on these false teachers. I mean, he gets, uh, I mean, this guy, he pins them down for the count. And he calls them every name in the book just shy of profanity. And, I mean, he lets them have it, doesn't he? And, uh, I mean, it's uh, pretty strong, strong language. I like it. I really do. I like it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just amazing. And he talks about their condemnation. But in verse 10, he kind of changes gears a little bit. And let me read to you our text, and I'll tell you how he changes gears. And look for it here. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it a pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, a heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. That's pretty tough language, isn't it? Doesn't that bless your heart? Have you ever got those verses on a greeting card? No, you haven't. If you know a false teacher, print it out on a greeting card and send it to them. I got a few I'll recommend. A lot of them have 1-800 numbers. But anyway, I want to tell you, this is tough language. But in chapter 2, he's dealing with the characteristics of false teachers, and he comes now and he says, but chiefly them, chiefly them, or especially them, that's what we call in verse 10, chiefly them, a superlative. In other words, he says, false teachers are bad, but I want to tell you the really bad ones are this way. And he gives us a description of the worst of the bunch. Isn't that amazing? The worst of the bunch. You know, if you follow football and you watch the NFL, you say they're the worst team in the NFL. Or they're the worst team in our district. Or that's the sorriest preacher in town. 
and you speak in terms of superlatives. Well, Peter says, let me tell you about the worst of the bunch. Let me tell you about the, the bad ones, the ones that uh, really go beyond being evil and wicked. And man, he just kind of gives us a description. You know, I, I'm really looking forward to this um, next uh, few verses in chapter 2 because I like, I like wildlife. I like animals. I like to, you know, uh, mess with cows and, and all that kind of stuff and like to hunt. And Oh, I don't get to mess with cows much anymore. I live in town and uh, seeing as what happened in Ocean Springs recently, I'm not going to mess with any chickens. But anyway, uh, I want to tell you that... Um, um, uh, he mentions a lot of animals in these next few verses. It's incredible. As a matter of fact, next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about a talking donkey. Isn't that amazing? You say, well, preacher, we uh, listen to a talking donkey often. Well, I'm glad you think that when you read about next week's talking donkey. Amen? I'd rather be a talking donkey uh, than a racehorse. Amen. And we'll get into that next week. I'm ready for some good time on that. But he talks about some animals in this text, but it's all in the context of saying, let me tell you about the worst of the bunch. Let me tell you about the most dangerous of the false teachers. And he gives us a description of them. First thing he says is, look at their drive. Look what drives them. And we see that in Verse 10, but chiefly them that walk after their own flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. He talks about their drive. I use the verb drive in my outline of exposition for this text because what drives them is inherent in the word walk. In the King James Version, it says walk. Other translations may say conversation. Yours might say lifestyle, and all of those are correct. And it's a common word, this word walk in the New Testament. Most will understand that it refers to your lifestyle, your way that you carry yourself, what is about you, your personality, uh, what you apply your personality to. It's a very common word in the New Testament. But it's very, very interesting that every single time this word is used in the New Testament for walk and talks about somebody's lifestyle. Now get this, this is important because you read through the Bible and you study the Bible, you're going to come across the word walk many times. Every time in the New Testament the word walk is used, it is, it is written in the passive or the middle voice of the Greek, not the active voice. The passive or mental voice means that something is imposing upon you that causes you to walk that way. It's not something you... You don't get up and say, I believe today I'm going to live like this. I believe today I'm going to put my mind and think this way. No, that would be active voice. And the word walk is never used in the active voice. It's passive or middle. And what that means is, is that something dictates how you think. Something directs your lifestyle. And that something or someone is not you. 
You ever heard somebody say, I just want to make up my own mind? You ever have a teenager tell you that? Well, I won't tell you. They're wrong. You can't make up your own mind. God's Word says, God's Word says something always directs your thinking. Something always influences you and me in the way we live. Isn't that a fascinating thing? The word walk is also used in the Greek language of ancient days for the marching of an army. No army marches unless a high-ranking officer says forward march. If that high-ranking official says about face, what do they do? Tell me, military guy. That's right. That's right. And so what I tell you is, from the Word of God, is something always directs your thinking. This is true all through the Bible. We're about to go on Proverbs of the Pastor with our young people and some chaperones. Um, and uh, we're going to have a wonderful time, Proverbs 18. You know, Proverbs talks about the simple. It starts out talking about the simple. Before anybody is ever wise, before anybody is ever a scorner and a, 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 a fool, they are simple. Everybody who's born is simple. Simple does not mean, in the book of Proverbs, it does not mean, it does not refer to intellect. It refers to being empty and your mind has got to be filled with something. And so Proverbs fills your mind with the wisdom of God given to Solomon and others. Something directs your attention. Something drives them. Well, what drives the worst of the false teachers? What drives them? Well, there's two things given to us in our text. First of all, they are driven by what they desire. If you look at verse 10 again, the Bible says that uh, they walk or driven by the desires of their flesh, by their lusts of uncleanness. The flesh and the lust of their uncleanness. Their God is their flesh. Their sinful flesh. That's what drives their thinking. That's what motivates them. That's what propels them to be what they are and do what they do. The sinful flesh. The sinful nature that all of us possess. And their guide is their lust for uncleanness. The desire of the things that defile them. The second thing that these worst teachers are driven by is but they're driven by what they despise notice the bible says they despise government their low regard for dominion now of course this is a reference uh, to the lordship and the sovereignty of the lord jesus christ chapter 2 verse 1 gives a general statement say false teachers those who propel, propel false doctrine they deny the lord who bought them well here it is they're driven by what they despise. They despise the truth of God. They despise the truth of God in that it tells them they are a sinner. And they do not want the Word of God to direct their thinking and direct their walk and be a lamp to their feet. They want their own flesh to be that. And the Bible says that the flesh and the spirit are contrary to one another. And it's no wonder they hate the government of God and the Lordship of Jesus. So that's what drives them. 
They are driven by their own lusts, their own desires, and they're driven by what they despise, and that is the lordship of Jesus Christ. The lordship of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, folks, I've had people on the verge of becoming a Christian, and then they'll ask me a question. They'll say, well, if I become a Christian, do I have to give up this? And you know what I tell them? Yes, because the Bible says to repent. And they back off. They don't want to give it up. They don't want to give up what they desire. And in turn, they despise the Lordship of Christ. That is the worst of the bunch. Second of all, notice their daring. Man, these people are daring. I, I, for my study of Second Peter, I listened to a few of them. And I cringed. I thought, my soul, I went, oh my goodness, that's, that's dangerous stuff. How daring that is. If you listen to them close in light of Bible doctrine, you'll just see how daring some of these false teachers are. Making declarations and, and this name it, claim it, and claiming personal authority and demanding things of God. It's, it's incredible, the daring that it takes. But look at their daring in verses 10b through 11. First of all, the Bible says they're presumptuous. Presumptuous. This is the only place where the Greek word translated presumptuous is used. Uh, it means audacious and bold with no fear. No fear of God. And it implies shameless and irreverent attitudes toward God. Notice also the Bible says they are self-willed. You see that in verse 10, self-willed. Now this is the word we need to talk about, to be self-willed. It, it's used here describing false teachers, but in the book of Titus, it's used to describe what a pastor should not be. It says that the pastor, a pastor, should not be self-willed. It is the word Authetes. It's a very interesting word. It, it's a compound word in the Greek New Testament. The Greek word autos, which means him or herself. And the Greek word hedony, from which we get the word hedonism. Now, if you remember philosophy from college or high school, you'll know that a, somebody who's a hedonist or hedonistic is somebody who just lives for pleasure. That's what they do. They live for pleasure and they just desire their own pleasure. Hedonism, hedonistic. One is hedonistic when they seek their pleasure as the chief goal in life. As a matter of fact, let me read to you a text of Scripture. If you want to follow along, you can. I'm going to real quickly go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 1 through 5. Let me read this to you real quick. Um, if you want to turn there and have a Bible like mine, it's on page 1035. If not, I, you know, I don't know what page it's on. But anyway... Hedonistic. It says, this know also, and he's talking to Timothy, the pastor. He says, Timothy, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now remember, the last days are the time from the coming of Christ the first time till the rapture of the church. We're in the last days. He says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Do we have that? Covetousness, boasters. Proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Do we have that? 
unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, no self-control, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And so when he says that in verse 5, having the form of God, he's saying that's all in the church. He's not talking about what's out there down Washington Avenue. He's talking about what's in the church. And he says they have the form of God. They look real good, but they don't have the power of God. The power of God, they don't have the power of God in many ways, but one is they don't have the power of God under salvation, which is the gospel. And so that, that's what that word means. And they are into this self-willed for their own pleasure. And then look at, go back to 2 Peter and look at verse 10, the last part. He says, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. He gives us an example of this presumptuous arrogance and this um, self-will. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Now, it didn't say dignitaries. It said dignities. There's some debate over who these dignities are. The word is, is doxa, which means glorious one. So Peter says they're not afraid to speak against the glorious ones. Well, some say that this is talking about good angels. They're not afraid to talk about against good angels. I don't think that's what Peter had in mind, and I'll tell you why in a few moments. Um, others claim that Peter is talking about the pastors and preachers of the church. They're not afraid to talk against the pastors of the church. Well, I like that. I mean, who doesn't want to be a glorious one? Right? You say, well, preacher, that can't mean that. You're not very glorious. Well, I don't believe that either. Um, but I do think the context gives us the answer to exactly what Peter is saying. Um, verse 11, Whereas angels which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord. Angels do not bring railing accusations against the dignitaries. That's what he's saying. So that's our context. That's our pivot point. That's where we realize what he's talking about. And you got to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Well, if you will, flip over... You go from 2 Peter to 1 John, then 2 John, then 3 John, and you come to the little book of Jude. Hey, Jude. Jude. All right? And you come to this book of Jude, and you see as you read it that it is almost identical to portions of 2 Peter. Almost identical. Most scholars tell you that Peter wrote first, then Jude. And then some will tell you that Jude wrote, then Peter. The liberal ones say they didn't copy each other, that it was some other source. But I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit was having them address the same exact problem within the church, and that was false teaching. 
Remember Peter tells us, we, have, we are in the ministry of reminding you about the truth. Well, whoever wrote first, Peter or Jude, we're reminded of the truth. And Jude almost is word for word to what we read in 2 Peter. But look at Jude verse 8. He's talking about false teachers and he says he gets rough in his language about them. You know, these guys weren't sweet. They weren't politically correct. They wouldn't have really had much of a, a ministry today because people like us to be nice and kind, but uh, we really need to be biblical. And man, look what he says. He says, likewise also these filthy dreamers. Woo! Defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of the glorious ones. Yet Michael the archangel... When contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring, a, uh, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, Rather, the Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not of. But they're like brute beasts. Now that's a fascinating thing. So what Peter is telling us here is these people, these, the worst of the bunch, these false teachers, they have this idea about Satan and about evil in this world. And he says they are arrogant. Remember, they have the form of godliness. They look great. They sound great. They look like and sound like they're on God's side but they don't have the power of God and they're really driven by their own lust. And he says they are not afraid to try to deal with fallen angels or with Satan. Folks, I want to tell you, and I don't, I don't, I, I'm not going to be as rough as Peter is on them, but I want to tell you what, watch out for the guy who stands up and tries to tell you to rebuke the devil. Watch out for that. Watch out for the guy who, who, who wants to lay hands on everybody and, and try to remove the spirit of jealousy or the spirit of this or the spirit of that, the spirit of division, the spirit of lust. Jude, and Peter speaks of it too, Jude says, Michael the archangel would not even confront the devil himself head on but rather he turned it over to the Lord. Now let me ask you something. You might be a powerful soul, but you're no Michael. Amen? And Peter says, back in chapter 2, Peter says, hey, these angels, Michael, more powerful than fallen angels, the demons of hell, more powerful than any of them, they don't even... Go head to head with the devil or pretend to go head to head with the devil. But I want to tell you what, we've got, we've got charismatic televangelists and charismatic ministries that that's exactly what they teach people to do. And there's never any victory. Because I want to tell you something, if you're going to defeat the devil, you need to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one who's ever defeated the devil. Amen. He defeated him in temptation so we can have victory. And Jesus himself had to quote the Word of God. He didn't get up there and quote some mumbo-jumbo and say, I rebuke you, here's my formula, I rebuke this, I rebuke that. 
He used the authority of the Word of God to defeat the devil. And so, this is their arrogance. Words can't defeat the devil. We have to be obedient to the Word of God. The Word of God is what will give you strength, and it is what defeats the devil. Jude tells us Michael himself would not rebuke the devil on his own authority, but turned it over to the Lord. Now, you might not think much of that and think, oh, okay, preacher, that's good to know. Thank you. I'm ready to go to the house. Well, I want to tell you something. Uh, Get in my line of work, and you find people who are victimized by that trashy theology an awful lot. You find people who are victimized by it. And the hardest thing that I have seen in trying to help people is not convincing them that it is a false theology, but convincing them that they're not some low-rate, second-class Christian who just doesn't have it. And that's the problem. It brings defeat. The false teachers who claim such victory actually bring defeat into your life because it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And so he gives us that particular piece of instruction. So what you need to do to defeat the devil is the same thing you need to do to defeat false teachers. You need to know the Word of God. And you need to be obedient to the Word of God. And you need to learn to quote the Word of God. And you need to be true to the Word of God and walk with Jesus. Amen? And resist the devil and he will flee from you. You don't resist him by looking him in the face and say, I rebuke you. That doesn't even work for your teenage son. Amen? That doesn't work for anybody. You've got to have the authority of Jesus and it's his authority alone. Michael wouldn't even do it. So you just use the Word of God, you flee fornication, you resist the devil with the Word of God and with common sense, application of God's Word, and that's how you do it. And be a person of prayer. Now notice in chapter 2, verse 12 through 14, their destruction. Verse 12 says, but these. In other words, he says, Michael wouldn't even used some formula to rebuke the devil. He, he turned it over to the Lord and let God do it, which is what we need to do by obedience to the Word of God and application of the Word of God. He said, but these, this, these false teachers, the worst of the bunch, he said, they don't do that. They think they're better than Michael. They think they're stronger than Michael, Brother Jeff. They think they're somebody. And you know what? They sure do look like somebody, don't they? Boy, they can get the crowds, and they got all the money, and I mean, it's amazing. But look what Peter says to them. He says, he says, and he gives us one, two, three, four, five, six, seven characteristics real quickly. He says, first of all, they are unreasonable. He says they are like natural brute beasts. That they are like animals who live by instincts and not reason. Literally. This natural brute beast, you know what it means? And once again, it's Peter's, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pretty hard language. He says, literally, it means born for capture and destruction. It is referring to an animal that is only here on planet Earth 
to be slaughtered and eaten. They serve no other purpose. That's what they're here for. God put them here for us to eat. Amen. Right? And Peter says, I mean, this, this, is, very, this is very tough. Peter says they would do more service dead than alive. Now, don't you take that into your own hands. i got to say that these days. You let God be the judge of them and let God do His. But they will not reason with God's truth. They're like brute beasts because they are self-willed. And second, he says, they are willfully ignorant. They revile, they speak against the truth, even against things they do not understand. They cannot understand because they will not understand. The natural man cannot understand the things of God. But these false teachers who use the truth of God to their own ends and to fulfill their own lust, what he says here is they are willfully ignorant. They will perish in their own corruption. Verse 13 says they are shameless. They riot even during the day. They are shameless. They will justify their sin by their false teachings. Cheap grace. Cheap grace. Riot in the daytime. Not even wanting to hide their sin anymore. Open and flagrant. Wouldn't you say we're there right now? I mean, it's incredible. They are stains and blemishes upon the church, Peter says. They sport themselves, living in luxury while they entertain you, eat with you, all the while carousing and living in luxury, while they make sure you are pleased and satisfied and happy and and where they want you to be. They are without moral self-control. The Bible says here, eyes full of adultery. Whether that's sexual, financial, they cannot cease from sin. They beguile unstable souls. Beguile uses bait to trap and influence. Unstable, unsteadfast souls. As a matter of fact, the Bible says here that they exercise this beguiling. They exercise it. They work at it. You know what that word means? It's the word, Greek word, gymnazo. We get our word gymnasium from it. These false teachers will go to great lengths to prepare and train to deceive many to satisfy their own lusts. Isn't that an incredible thing? That's what they do. They have trained themselves to be deceivers, to satisfy their lust in every deceptive way they can. They beguile unstable souls. Now, folks, listen, you may not see this, and I hope you don't, but I want to tell you, it's out there. You wouldn't believe the the, uh, material that comes across our mailbox. And I open it up on occasion. What's the term? Uh, Junk mail. I open it up some. Now they send it to me email. And um, open it up sometimes. You wouldn't believe the suggestions we have to market the church. Look, I know I'm old-fashioned, and you might be new-fashioned, and 
I understand. I'm not trying to be rebuking anybody, but I want to tell you something. Folks, I'd rather rely on the Holy Spirit to do His work than a smoke machine. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, you know, next week we'll see. I'd rather be a talking donkey than a racehorse. Amen or oh me. That's good preaching whether you like that kind of stuff or not. We get our word gymnasium from it. The false teachers have resisted their conscience, rejected the word of God, and trained themselves to be deceivers to satisfy their lust in every deceptive way they can. And what they have done is convince themselves and to justify their actions and their thinking. And that's what you see in much today in the church. And then the last thing he says, they are cursed. They are going to hell and they make their followers go with them. They have cursed children. They take people along with them. Matthew 23, and Jesus' great rebuke to the Pharisees, the legalist, he said to them, when you go out and make your proselytes, you make them a twofold child of hell. There's you and them. And these false teachers do the same thing in the modern church. And they've been doing it since Jesus came. And that's their destruction. That's their destruction. So what do you do? What do you do with this? Well, I want to tell you, um, first of all, um, be careful who you listen to. I mean, you you wouldn't allow a rated X movie in your house, a rated R movie in your house. You'd want to protect what your kids see and what your family sees, what they hear. Absolutely. Well, don't let this in your house. Don't let this in your brain. Don't let these guys in your brain, these false teachers. Watch out for the word of faith movement that's out there. And one thing you do is, is you got to know the Word of God. you got to be a student of the Scriptures. Now, when we get into chapter 3, we're going to find one of the most fascinating truths in the Bible about the Bible. Peter is going to talk about the Apostle Paul. And you know what he's going to tell us? He's going to say, Paul is hard to understand. Now, when I read that in chapter 3, I thought, how encouraging is that? I'm not the only one who has a hard time understanding Paul. Peter had a hard time understanding Paul. Amen? One of the first questions I ask when I read the New Testament, uh, uh, almost for many texts, is this. What does that mean? What do you mean by that? My soul. But he didn't say it was impossible. So I'm going to show you how to, how to help yourself understand the Bible when we get to chapter 3. Isn't it wonderful? He says, you got to know the Word of God. you got to know the Word of God. Do not be a victim of false teachers. And then he tells us how to know the Word of God. And so you got to know it. you got to be a student. And you start by reading it daily. If you don't have a daily time in your day when you spend time reading the Word of God, you need to start. That's what you need. That's the invitation. Start that. Get up earlier if you have to. And if you can't get up earlier, go to bed earlier. So you can get up earlier. Turn off that TV, amen? You can watch Laura Ingram later on. You don't need to, you know, I mean, get, get in the Word of God, amen? And uh, watch that stuff. You don't need to be watching those late-night comedians, that filthy bunch anyway. Get to bed early so you can get up and read the Word of God. That's good preaching whether you like it or not. Amen. Boy, 40 years ago, somebody would have been hollering, Amen. And so know the Word of God. Be a student of the Scriptures. Listen to it preached. 
and read it yourself. Second, be on guard. Be on guard. Third, stand your ground. Stand your ground with the Word of God. And be true. Be true to the Scriptures. That's what you've got to do. Because they're brute beasts. They're brute beasts. They're following, driven by their own lust. They hate the Lordship of Christ. And they're going to lead you down to your sin as well. And so that's what you need to do. Let's all stand for our song of appeal. Well, today as we close out our worship, would you today make a decision for the Lord? Maybe all week God's been speaking to you about the decision you need to make for the Lord. And you need to come forward and we'll help you make it. If you're not 100% certain if you died today, we can show you in the scriptures how you can be saved and know you have a home in heaven and you can have heaven in your home now and Christ with you. We want to encourage you. We're not going to be false teachers, folks. We're here for you. And you bear that out by our testimony in this town for over 100 years, First Baptist been here and been true. And so we want to help you come to know the Lord Jesus. Any decision, any prayer you have, I'll be up front to help if the Lord leads you. This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.